Hey everyone, this is Johnny Martinez, pastor of Restoration Church, and welcome to our podcast. We hope this podcast inspires you and encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Hey, good morning, Restoration Church. Glad you're with us today. Pastor Johnny here. Uh, Just really excited that you joined us as we continue our journey through the Gospel of Mark. So if you could turn with me today to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 20. 14 through 20. And today I titled the message, The Radical Call of God. The Radical call of God. And so as you're turning to your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20, let me just kind of fill you in on what's going on here today. Uh, Over the last couple of weeks, we saw what? We saw Jesus being baptized, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Then he is led out to the wilderness, to the desert, to be tempted by Satan. He overcomes this temptation. He wins the war in the wilderness. He battles Satan with scripture, with the word of God. Uh, And so now what we're going to see is Jesus going from the wilderness and being tempted by Satan and winning the battle in the wilderness to starting his ministry. Now, what I want to say is this, that Mark uh, automatically goes straight into Jesus's ministry in Galilee, his public preaching ministry where he did most of his ministry in in the region of Galilee. So what we need to understand for context is that between uh, verse 13 and verse 14, so between the temptation of Jesus and between uh, the temptation of Jesus and his ministry, his public ministry, there's a gap there that Mark skipped over. And so again, Mark is a fast-paced gospel. He's hitting the high spots in Christ's life. He doesn't really worry too much about the details, so he tends to skip a little bit. And really, there's this sense of urgency in the gospel of Mark. That's why he kind of tends to skip. Um, And so he really wants to kind of have this fast-paced feel to his gospel. Uh, Why? Because he wants to uh, get to the point, right? He wants to get to the point that Jesus is the King. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Savior, and Jesus is the Messiah. So between the temptation of Christ and what we're going to be studying today, again, think about it. There's a gap there. There's a gap there. Uh, and the gap there is really Jesus's uh, ministry in Judea and Jerusalem. And so Mark skips over that a little bit. Uh, he skips over Jesus cleansing the temple or Jesus having that conversation uh, with a man named Nicodemus. Uh, he skips over meeting the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. So again, there's a, there's, there's a time lapse between verse 13 and verse 14. But here what we're going to see today is Jesus begin his public preaching ministry in the region of Galilee. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me there uh, to Mark chapter 14. Uh, Mark chapter 14, it says this. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. 
And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Let's pray. God, we come before you with uh, an open heart, open mind, asking you to work in our lives, asking that your spirit speaks to us, asking that your Holy Spirit illuminates our heart to understand your word, to apply your word, to go and live out your word. God, I pray that you would work in our lives through this passage, that we would marvel at the example of these amazing fishermen. God, use this scripture to change our lives and transform our lives, God, so that we can transform the lives of others. God, remove any distractions that we have today. God, we want to focus solely on you and on your word and on your presence. God, lead us. Lead us in this time together. May we give you all the glory and all of the honor with our hearts and with our minds today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, God's word uh, calls us to live a life of radical service. That's what God calls us to do. He calls us as believers to live a life of radical service. But you know what? If I got to be honest with you for just a second, it's been really, really difficult for me lately uh, to live a life of radical service. Why? Why is that? Let me tell you why. Well, here's why. You see, very often at night, uh, I get a little hungry and I want a snack, yeah, like a midnight snack or some late night snack. And so what do I do? Well, I get out of bed and I walk all the way to the fridge or to the pantry, pick out my snack, and then I have to walk all the way back to bed. Now, when I sit down in my bed, I automatically notice every single time without fail, my beautiful wife, Christina, peeks over and she tries to, she tries to figure out what I have as a snack. And without fail, she begins to eat my snack. I mean, I, of course, I give her some of my food. Of course, that's what a good and loving husband would do. But I give her some. But in my heart and in my mind, this is what I'm thinking. I got out of bed. I went all the way to the fridge. I went all the way to the pantry, picked out my snack, and had to come back all the way to the room. And now you're eating my food. It's my snack. Man, I am having trouble living this life of radical service, right? I just I just am. Man, it's tough. It's tough. God is still working in my heart, so don't don't be judging. Don't be judging at all. Man, and, and so I have this 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 struggle, right, between living this life of service and and and, and living a life of selfishness. And and, if, and I honestly the truth is that 
it 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 it's it goes beyond just sharing my snack with my wife. There are times that God calls me to do something, and I'm just like, God, I, I know you're calling me to do this. I know you're calling me to this radical uh, time of service, or, or to do something for someone, or for Him, or for whatever it is. But then my selfish side, you know, it's like, hey, you know, do you really want to do that? Hey, it's going to cost you a little bit. And so there's this battle or there's this tension in me, whether it's sharing my snack or doing other more serious things for the kingdom of God. But there's this battle and there's this tension between a life of service and a life of selfishness. And, and you're, you've probably been there. You, you probably have your own battles between, man, I, I, I want to serve God and God is calling me to do this. And I know I'm supposed supposed to do something. But man, you know, the, the selfishness part of you get, really gets to you. And so there's there's battle, this, this tension between living a life of service and a life of selfishness, even in your own life. You see, a life of, of service is about giving. It's about giving of our time, our talents, and our treasures to God and to others. A life of selfishness is about getting. It's, it's about what I want to get. It's about receiving. It's not really about giving. It's about adding more upon our life. A life of, of service is about others and others focused. It's doing what's best for other people. A life of selfishness is all about us. It's what I want and what I need. And it's, it's all about me, 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 and I, I, I. A life of service is about inconvenience. It's about going out of our way for other people. Uh, a life of selfishness is about convenience. It's about getting our way. If it's not my way, if it's it's the highway, it's what I want. If it doesn't really fit in this little box, or if you're going to you know make me feel, uh, you know, if you're going to make me get out of my way, then I don't want to do it. Uh, and that's a life of selfishness. A, a life of service is unconditional. I'm going to serve you, and I'm not going to expect anything in return. Like, I'm just going to serve you because that's what God's called me to do. And I, I, if you don't, I don't need any praise. I don't need anything from you. I don't, I just want to serve. But a life of selfishness has conditions. Hey, if I do this for you, or if I do this for God, God, what do I get in return? Uh, what's my return on investment? A life of service is about risk, taking risks, stepping out in faith, uh, risking it all for God and for his services and for his mission and for his kingdom. And a life of selfishness is about living in this nice little comfortable box. A life of service is difficult. It's hard work. A life of selfishness is easy. But he, here's the thing, church, that God didn't call us to easy, to comfortable, to convenient. He didn't. He, God called us to live this life of radical service for him. Why? Because easy and convenient and selfishness, it doesn't change the world. What changes the world is hard work. What changes the world is taking risk and serving people. What changes the world is stepping out in faith and, 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 and unselfishly loving people. What changes the world is, it is being others focused. What changes the world is giving from all that we have and all that we are. And so I believe that God has called each and every believer, every single believer, is called to a radical life of service, a call to serve him and to serve others. He has called us into his service. And so today, what I want to do is I really want to take the time to look at this passage today 
and see and, and get a glimpse of what it really looks like to live a life of radical service and radical obedience for God. So again, if you have your Bibles, let's turn there. We're going to be just going through this passage this morning. In verse 14, notice that Mark begins with John the Baptist, and he begins with John the Baptist being arrested. And so we're going to really look at the reasons why John the Baptist got arrested later on in chapter 6. But really the reason that that Mark tells us that John the Baptist was arrested is because he's ready to shift from the ministry of John the Baptist, the forerunner for Jesus Christ. He's ready to shift from John the Baptist to Jesus. And so there's a shift now in his gospel. And so really John already accomplished the mission that that he came on this earth to accomplish. Uh, He was the forerunner for Christ. He was a herald for Christ. He prepared the way for Christ. And now it's Jesus' turn to shine. It's the spotlight goes from John the Baptist to Jesus. And so that's why I believe that Mark tells us uh, that uh, John the Baptist was arrested. Now, Mark also tells us that Jesus uh, came into the region of Galilee. And so the region of Galilee was north of Jerusalem, uh, north of Judea. It was west of the Sea of Galilee. And this is where Jesus spent most of his life and most of his ministry in. Now, Jesus came into this region after John being arrested. He came in what? Preaching. He came in proclaiming. He came in uh, heralding a message, the message of the gospel. Uh, what, what is the message of the gospel? Uh, that, that that salvation has come, that salvation has come, that the forgiveness of sins has come, uh, that there's e- eternal life offered to all, that Jesus Christ is not only the source of of that salvation, but he's the content of that salvation. He's the content and the source of the gospel. And so Jesus comes in preaching the good news of God, that there is salvation offered to everyone. Now, this message uh, continues here in in verse 15, and he says this. Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. This is what Jesus is saying. That the time is fulfilled. What is, John, what is Jesus talking about here? Essentially, what he's talking about is this. That, hey, hey, the one that John said would come after him, hey, I'm here. I've arrived. You see, John said, hey, there, there's somebody else who's coming after me. And Jesus is here. It, it's fulfilled, right? That, that's what he's talking about there. He says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, what is the kingdom of of God. Essentially, it is God's rule and God's reign in the hearts of people who have repented and placed their faith in Christ. That is the rule and the reign of God. It is a spiritual rule in the hearts and lives of people. However, it is also a future rule and reign of God when God will come back in the end and he will reward the righteous, punish the wicked, and establish his physical kingdom here on earth in the new heavens, in the new earth. It is both a spiritual kingdom in the hearts and the lives of men, and it is a physical kingdom when God will establish physically his kingdom here on earth. It is both present, it is happening now, and it started now, but it's also future 
as well. It is the kingdom of God. And how do we get into the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus tells us here in verse 15. He says, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the good news. There is a response. Jesus himself is preaching for a decision. Jesus is preaching for a verdict. Jesus is calling for an answer. Will you repent or and will you believe or will you not? What, what are you going to do? And Jesus, that, that, that's his uh, call and his preaching is to repent and believe, to enter into the kingdom of God. To repent is to change one's mind that changes one's behavior. It is a turning away from sin and towards Christ. And so, that is how we become members of the kingdom by repenting and believing. Now, I want to point something very point out something very interesting in this passage. We don't really see it here, but in the original language, to repent and believe is in the present tense. It's a present tense command, meaning that we are commanded to live in a state of repentance, and trust in Christ throughout our lives. This is not a one-time decision. Uh, it's something that we continually do in our lives. Now, we don't repent and believe to, uh, to keep our salvation uh, or to maintain our salvation. That's the initial act of repenting and trusting. But it is to re uh, keep our intimacy and our relationship close to God. That's really what it is. But Jesus says, repent and believe, and you'll enter the kingdom of God. Now, this is a radical message, but then Jesus obviously needs um, uh, messengers for his message, right? So that's what he goes doing. He, he goes on a recruiting spree. He goes out and scouts people, as we see here in verse 16. It says that Jesus was passing alongside the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee, man, it was a thriving. It had a thriving fishing industry. The economy was good. Things were, were awesome. The stock market was up. Like everyone was making money, man. If you were a fisherman, you were really, really well off. And that's what the Sea of Galilee was like. It was uh, hardworking people. Economy was good. Great fishing market. And it says that Jesus, he saw Simon and Andrew. They were casting their nets into the sea for they were fishermen. Now, don't you think, as, as you know, God's going to call these guys into service, but, but don't you think that it's interesting that Jesus chose fishermen as his first disciples? Do you think that's interesting? I think that's interesting that he chose fishermen to be his first disciples. He could have chosen anybody and any type of person, but he decided to choose fishermen. That is so interesting. Jesus didn't go into uh, the temple or to the synagogues trying to recruit people. Jesus didn't go trying to recruit uh, Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, Pharisees or scribes. Jesus didn't go and do that. I mean, if G I think if Jesus was here today, he probably wouldn't be going to the seminaries or to the Bible colleges. Uh, he'd be looking at other places, right? Uh, but I just thought it was very interesting that Jesus uh, chose fishermen, ordinary people, ordinary people to be his first disciple. But you know what? That makes a lot of sense, actually. It makes a lot of sense that Jesus chose fishermen to be his first disciples. Why? Because, man, 
the, 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 not the sport, but the profession of fishing is very, very difficult. I mean, this was a grueling job. A fisherman had to be hard working. And that's what Jesus saw uh, in, in, in these two fishermen. He, when he saw them, they were casting their nets, right? They were working. They were working hard. Those nets were heavy. They weren't sitting around just being lazy. So being a fisherman was hard work. Uh, being a fisherman, you have to be patient. You're not always going to catch fish. Uh, you have to be skillful. There's a skill on how to catch fish in certain times of the day and certain times of the year the fish are at different depths and at different places in the lake and so you have to have some type of skill there has to be a lot of persistence right uh, especially being a fisherman during this time i mean you, you have to fight against the the storms and the rain and it's cold and, and and sometimes it can be hot and man it's grueling work but you have to have some perseverance and you have to be resourceful as a fisherman uh, later on we're going to see in, in this, the other disciples that Jesus calls to, it says that they were mending their nets, um, which means that they were fixing their nets. Maybe that their nets ripped and they, he was, they were fixing their nets. And so you have to be resourceful. Uh, these fishermen weren't just like, hey, I'm going to, you know, toss it out and I'll just buy a new one. No, they were being resourceful uh, in, in, in fishing. And so these qualities of a fisherman are the same qualities that we need to catch people for the kingdom of God. So Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Jesus knew exactly who he wanted. He wanted these ordinary fishermen who were hardworking and skillful and resourceful and available. I mean, he, these are the guys that he wanted. The same skills that are needed to catch fish are needed to catch people into the kingdom of God. Let me ask you a question today. Do you feel ordinary? Do you feel ordinary? Do you feel like you're just an average Joe? Like, like there's really nothing special about you? Like there's, you're just an ordinary person. If you feel that way, great. Why? Because Jesus likes to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And he first chose fishermen. He didn't choose rabbis or Pharisees or scribes or anything like that. He chose ordinary people to change the world. So if you feel ordinary, great. Jesus wants to do something extraordinary in and through your life. Do you feel like you lack all these abilities? Do you feel like you, you lack all of these natural gifts and talents? Great. Jesus is more focused about your availability than your ability. Fishermen were available. They were hardworking. They were ordinary people. And God, and God used them to change the world through them. So if you feel ordinary, if you feel like you're not gifted, great. Jesus wants to use you, and Jesus can use you. Verse 17, as we continue on. Uh, so Jesus, tech Mark tells us that, that when Jesus saw uh, Simon and Andrew, or a.k.a. Peter uh, and Andrew, uh, that, uh, that he says, follow me, that he called them to follow him, to follow him, to follow him. Now, I want you to understand a few things. This was not Jesus' first encounter with Peter and Andrew. Actually, they were uh, disciples of John the Baptist first, and they became disciples of Jesus. But this was not their first encounter. And in John chapter 1 tells us that they had an, a prior encounter to this moment with Jesus. And at that time, Jesus 
called them to salvation. They became believers in Christ. This call right now to follow Jesus was a call to service, a call to discipleship, a radical call to be fishers of men, a radical call to catch people into the kingdom of God. Do you know that follow me was Jesus's most repeated words? He repeats them about 13 times in the scriptures. They're his most repeated words. And guess what? They're his most repeated words today. Even today, Jesus is calling you and I to follow him, to a radical call to follow after him. Now, what's very interesting about this passage as well is that Jesus is calling his disciples to follow after him, breaking the customs of the day. You see, back then it was students who would go and look for a rabbi and and they would go and try to find a rabbi to study under. Also, the students that would study under the rabbi, their ultimate allegiance allegiance wasn't to the rabbi, it was to the law. Uh, However, you know, Jesus flips it, I mean, flips it upside down. It's Jesus who is going after his students, Jesus who is going after his disciples, Jesus calling his disciples, recruiting them. And the disciples who study under Jesus, their total allegiance is not to the law, but to Jesus Christ himself. And so what is this radical call that that Jesus is calling these fishermen to? Well, we see it here in verse 17. He says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Hey, you're going to fish for fish, but now I'm calling you to fish for men. Now, what's very interesting about this phrase, fishers of men, is that in the Old Testament, it does not have a very, very good image at all. Not a very good image at all. In every single fishing context in the Old Testament, it's about God's judgment on those who are contrary to God, on those who are disobedient. Let me just give you one example taken from Amos chapter 4, verse 2. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that, behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks even the last of you with fish hooks. I mean, that is God's judgment. That is imagery for God's judgment and God's wrath. And so here what Jesus is doing, he's he's saying, hey, we know that eventually uh, God's judgment will come upon people. But right now, what I am calling you to do is become fishers of men, to fish for people, to rescue them from sin and death by calling them into the kingdom of God. It is a summoned by Christ to this end time task of gathering men in view of God's final judgment. And this is a radical call that God is calling them away from fishing for fish and to fishing for men so that they could enter into the kingdom of God. As many of you know, I love, love fishing. I just love fishing. Uh, If I could do that every single day, I would. 
and uh, it, it's such a great, great moment when you land a fish. I mean, it's the best feeling ever. Adrenaline's pumping when you catch a fish. I mean, you, you throw your line out there, you you slowly start to rail, and then bam, you, you feel the fish just tug at your line super hard, and then you're reeling in the fish, and your pole's about to break. It's like bending your pole's about to break you're just reeling this massive fish in and then it starts it starts to pull on your line and it just starts going crazy and the sound of your fishing line coming off of your reel is the best you know is the best sound ever and so the fish is pulling and you're just kind of tugging and tugging and then you see the fish is kind of like flying up out of the water it's the best thing ever and then you you finally bring the fish in and it's about like this big, but still it don't matter. It's the bit, it's, it's the best thing ever. You know, it's the best thing ever to, to catch a fish. It don't matter what size it is, but you know, what's even better than that. You know, what's even better and greater than just catching a fish. It's when your friends don't catch any fish and you're catching all the fish. I mean, I mean, that's the, that's the, that's awesome feeling. It's even a better feeling than catching fish when you are just slaying the fish and your friends are not catching fish at all. I'm not going to mention any, any names today. Uh, Ramiro, Nate and Dan. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say anything. I mean, that's why my friends don't like going fishing with me because I'm always catching all the fish, you know, and they don't catch anything. And I always have a full stringer of, of fish. And I mean, they just kind of, they go home empty-handed. I mean, they get skunked. You know, it's not, it's not my fault. It's not my fault I'm that good. Man, that's, that's a great feeling. But you know what the greatest feeling is? It's not catching fish. It's catching people. It's catching people. It's fishing for people and catching people for the kingdom of God. That is the greatest feeling ever to catch people for the kingdom of God. It's to help people find life in Christ, salvation, eternal life. Question for you today is, have you gone fishing lately? Have you gone fishing? I'm not talking about fishing for real fish, but fishing for people. You've been called to do that. I have been called to do that. What does your stringer look like? you have any fish on there man it's a radical call from god now now look at the response now from these fishermen in verse 18 it says and immediately right away they left their nets and followed after him there was no hesitation there was no second guessing there was no let me pray about it jesus and i'll get back to you no immediately without delay no delay at all. And did you know that even when we delay, it's disobedience? Uh, it's uh, delayed obedience is disobedience. And when we delay, you know, we're, we're actually obeying God. It's not about our timing. It's about his timing. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And so they left without hesitation, without second guessing. They dropped everything they had to follow Christ, to respond to this radical call of God, to respond to this radical kingdom-minded call to be fishers of men. This means that they left their profession. They left their possessions. They, they left their business in this amazing economy. Think about it. As I mentioned earlier, 
Galilee, the Sea of Galilee had this thriving fishing industry. These guys weren't poor. They were uh, self-employed business owners. They, they, were, they were middle-class, well-off people. And yet they left everything. They risked it all for the sake of the call to go and be fishers of men. What would you do if you were Simon and Andrew? What would you do? I mean, honestly, what would you do? What would you do if Jesus called you out of your boat to leave everything? To leave your security, to leave your possessions, to leave your profession? What would you do? Well, guess what? God is still calling you to do something. God is still calling you to follow him. Would you answer the call to whatever he's calling you to do? Would you answer the call to be fishers of men? So Jesus, he recruits these two fishermen, but then he goes on recruiting two more. In verse 19, it says that going on for a little further, Jesus saw James and John. James and John, a cool little just kind of note here is that uh, in Mark chapter 3, uh, Mark tells us that these guys had a nickname. Uh, these brothers had a nickname, and their nickname was Sons of Thunder. Sons of Thunder. Man, that is a sweet, sweet nickname. If I have kids, and when I have kids, and I have two boys, Sons of Thunder. That's what I'm going to name them. That's just a like, sweet like WWE name. I just kind of thought I'd point that out. I just think that's really, really interesting. And so he saw James and John who were in their boats mending their nets. And again, how do they respond in verse 20? Immediately. Immediately. No hesitation again. Hey, I'm about to leave everything to follow Christ. And so they're leaving their profession. They're, They're leaving their possessions. But not only that, check this out. They're leaving parents. It says this, that he called them and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat. They left their father in the boat. Now, this is very shocking, especially in the first century. This is a radical obedience on the part of these guys, because in the first century, honoring your parents was among the greatest values. And so to leave your parents like that, man, it is shocking. It is radical. It is out of this world. But this radical obedience reminds me of Jesus' words in Luke chapter 14 when he says this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What? What is going on here. What? What do you mean? I got to hate my mom, hate my dad, hate myself, hate my kids. What are you talking about? You see this word, what this word hate, this, this word hate, what this, this word really means is that we are called to love God and love Christ even more than our family, even more than our parents, even more than our spouses, even more than our kids. It's Christ, our ultimate Uh, uh, the ultimate focus of our love is Christ. And so they leave their father to follow after Christ. They respond with radical obedience. 
Now, they also, the really cool thing about these brothers is that even though they left their father, they left him with some hired servants, as the verse tells us here. Now, two things about this this verse here. One, they didn't leave uh, their father alone, right? They They left him with some hired servants, and so they honored him in that way. The second thing is that 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 is that Zebedee and James and John they they were well off. Why? Because they had hired servants. If you had hired servants during that time, you you were well off. And so again, they're risking everything. They're risking their possessions, their profession, their business in a booming economy. They're leaving everything behind to follow after Christ. Radical obedience radical sacrifice. And here's the point of today's message, church. If you're going to take anything from today, take this. Take this. A radical call demands a radical answer. A radical call demands a radical answer. And so the question today is this, how will you respond to this call? Every single person, every single believer is being called into the mission of God to be fishers of men, to bring people into his kingdom. How will you respond? You see, the same call that Jesus called his disciples with back then is the same call that he is calling his disciples today. How will you respond? And and here's the thing, if you don't respond at all, well, that's a response. No response is a response. Kind of like when you send a group text and, and you, you send a group text to a bunch of people and no one responds. I mean, you know, that, that's a response. And no response is a response. How will you respond? Will you respond with a radical answer, with radical obedience, with a radical life of service? How will you respond? And so my challenge for you today is to respond immediately and respond sacrificially to whatever God calls you to do. When God prompts you to pray for someone, respond radically and rapidly. When God calls you to help a coworker that that maybe no one likes in your office or at your workplace, to respond radically and rapidly. When when God calls you and prompts you to encourage someone who is is, is just down and going through a difficult season in their life, to respond radically rapidly. When God calls you to serve at your church, to respond radically and rapidly. When God calls you to help someone who's struggling financially, that you would respond rapidly and radically. When God calls you to give financially to his work, that you would respond radically and rapidly. But most importantly, when God prompts you to share the good news of the gospel with someone, you would respond radically and rapidly. When God calls you to share Christ, the good news of the gospel, to help someone enter the kingdom of God, you would respond in that way. A radical answer demands, a radical call demands a radical answer. A radical call demands a radical answer that you would forsake it all for the call. So whatever happened to these fishermen, whatever came about of their lives, 
Well, let me, let me tell you, Peter, Peter preached so passionately during persecution. I mean, passionately. He preached a sermon that saved 3,000 people. Peter helped establish the church in Jerusalem. Peter wrote the books of 1st and 2nd Peter found in our Bibles. Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't think he was worthy enough to be crucified like Christ. Andrew, Andrew, he, we, we see him in the scripture leading people to Jesus in the book of John. It was believed that Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross. James, what about James? He was the first of the 12 to be martyred. Extra biblical sources say that James, when he went on trial, that, uh, that he had this accuser and that he actually converted his accuser in trial. And so his accuser uh, gave his life to Christ and was also crucified alongside of James. What about John? John stood at the cross while others abandoned Christ. John preached the gospel boldly in the midst of persecution. The apostle Paul calls John a pillar of the church. Five of the books in our New Testament came from John, the gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in Revelation. And John lived to an old age in Ephesus, in the city of Ephesus, where he preached and he preached God's love and he fought against heresy, against false teaching. These were fishermen, 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 that, that ordinary, uneducated fishermen that Jesus used to change the world. And so church, radical obedience changes the world. Radical obedience changes lives. Radical obedience changes our lives and the lives of others. So here's my question. What legacy are you going to leave? What, what will God do through your radical obedience? What, what impact will you leave on this earth? I don't know about you, but I want to make a difference. I want to change the world. I want to make a dent in this world. I want to fish for people so that hell will be less empty and heaven will be more full. Man, I want to answer that call each and every time. I want to answer with radical obedience every single time. I want to end with this. In our growth track, uh, with, in, our, in our growth track, we have this thing called the leadership declaration. And, and, and it's something that every single person on our dream team believes and has agreed upon. It's our declaration. It's our anthem call. And I just want to read it to you because it really captures the heart of what I'm trying to say here. It says this, because God has called me to serve my generation, I will value worship over wealth we over me, character over comfort, service over status, God's purpose over possessions, positions, popularity, and pressure. To my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I say, however, whenever, wherever, and whatever you ask me to do, my answer in advance is yes. Wherever you lead and whatever the cost, I'm ready. Anytime, anywhere, 
I want to be used by you in such a way that on the final day, I'll hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on in and let the eternal party begin. That is a heart. A radical call demands a radical answer. Man, I'm just so thankful for the example of Peter, Andrew, James, and John, who showed us what radical obedience, radical service looks like. Yes, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they were great examples of what a radical obedience and radical sacrifice looks like. But the greatest example is Jesus Christ himself. The greatest example of radical obedience and radical service is Jesus Christ. That he gave his life on the cross, that he died on the cross for our sins so that we can enter into the kingdom of God. And so today, you might not be called to the to, to call of service just yet, because before you're called into service, you're called into salvation. And so maybe you don't know Christ. Maybe you're not in the kingdom of God yet. I want to let you know that Jesus Christ had this radical sacrifice so that you could enter into the kingdom of God. How? What did Jesus say? If you would repent and believe. Repent, turn away from your sin and believe in Christ. And I want to pray for you as you make that commitment today. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that is powerful. It's your authoritative, inspired, infallible word. We thank you for the life that it gives us. We thank you for the encouragement that it gives our life. God, I pray for anyone here who hasn't responded to that first call of salvation, that today that they would place their faith in you, that they would turn away from their old life to the new life they have in you, Jesus. God, I also pray for those of us who are believers who have maybe not responded to the call of service, the call to, to be fishers of men, the call to risk everything and to give up everything for you. And may we, we, may we respond every single time with radical obedience. God, we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. If you feel led to give, please use the link below as we seek to make a difference in people's lives. Also, please make sure to share this with your family and your friends. Again, thank you so much for listening.